Hi, my name is Alan Weirdak, and I'm host of Cool Things in the Media Archives based in College Park, Maryland. Check out my show and all the other shows on the Labor Radio Podcast Network. You better listen, my brother, because if you do, you can hear their voices still calling from across the years. And they're crying across the ocean, they're crying across the land. Dear friends, welcome to the Labor Radio Podcast Network profile series highlighting the work of our members. The growing network of over 70 shows in four countries serves as a one-stop shop for audiences looking for labor content, and as a resource for labor broadcasters, podcasters, and content producers. My name is Evan Papp, and I produce Empathy Media Lab's podcast on labor, political economy, arts, and culture, and we're a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Today, I'm speaking with Alan Weirdak, archive specialist at the George Meany Labor Archive at the University of Maryland College Park. So, Alan, tell me a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and what led you to organize labor. So um, a little bit about myself. I guess professionally speaking, uh, in addition to being the archive specialist at the Media Labor Archive, I'm also a master's student in history and library science at the University of Maryland, um, where I focus on global interaction and exchange and um, archives and digital curation. Um, I guess uh, I, I grew up in Montgomery County, Maryland, um, especially in terms of where I attended K through 12. I feel like that's a lot of how we identify where we grew up. Um, and then my interest in organized labor um, is actually more recent. Uh, my interest in organized labor actually stems from a longer history interested in just working class history and radical politics. Um, my interest and passion for working class history, I think, stems from the fact that my, uh, my father's side of the family is from the McKees Rocks Bottoms um, in western Pennsylvania, just outside of Pittsburgh. Um, the McKees Rocks Bottoms are also the site of the 1909 pressed steel car strike. Um, and uh, I, don't, I don't know, ever just knowing that history, um, it's a, a very heavily Eastern European immigrant community. Um, and it's kind of just where my family roots are. So just knowing that um, my father, before he moved to DC and landed a federal job, uh, worked on the Pennsylvania and Lake Erie Railroad, the PNLE. So I don't know, I just, I've always felt closely tied to just like working class history um, and those roots. And then uh, my history, my interest in radical politics, I think stems from uh, high school, actually. My 11th grade philosophy teacher, uh, Mr. Ring, who for whatever reason thought it was a really good idea to give a young, angsty, argumentative cynic uh, Voltaire. So um, from, from there, I remember going to Barnes and Noble with my mom and she bought me uh, a collection of Voltaire writings um, and also the Communist Manifesto, um, which I didn't understand until a few years later, um, but I think that's kind of where it all started. And then I remember in undergrad, I took a, uh, an urban history class with uh, Professor David Freund, where we read Robert Self's American Babylon. And in American Babylon, there's a chapter, at least one chapter, that looks at the Black Panther Party in Oakland. So I just, I remember reading about, um, you know, uh, like the free breakfast programs, um, community medical care, um, community enforcement, policing the police, um, just like this response to very serious violence, police brutality, economic oppression, um, all those things. And I think that's kind of where that history, where that interest, that passion really started.
the role of immigrant labor, which I guess was the one thing that really stood out to me growing up. Um, just knowing, you know, my family is Eastern European, uh, part Polish, part Ukrainian. Um, I believe it's actually considered Galician, which is essentially the, the border of Poland and the Ukraine under Habsburg rule. So that ended, of course, um, with the uh, dissolution of the Ottoman Empire in what, 1917, yeah. something like that. And then my, I think that side of the family, I, I still don't know this, but I think that side of the family emigrated earlier like before the turn of the 20th century. Um, and then I know that my, my dad's dad's side of the family emigrated from Krosno, Poland, which was then, which is present day Poland, but then it was Galicia. And he came to the south side of Pittsburgh in like 1924. Yeah, my very similar, like so many of us, uh, you know, European descended into, you know, coming into America. And my great grandfather, uh, his father came over Ellis Island from Hungary and it was right before World War One broke out. And my mom's side of the family were all from Ireland and a lot of them came over in the 1850s and, and before. And that was oftentimes the, because of the different types of serfdom that the British put on the Irish and making the monocrop potatoes. And then there's a blight there and all of a sudden a third of the population dies from famine. Um, and yeah, the immigrant working class uh, labor is, is what this country is built on and it's still being built. What keeps us going, yeah. seriously. Yeah. Like that's, that's why this stuff is so important. Like, and some immigrants came here by choice and others were brought over, you know, in chains. So, yeah. but it's, it's- uh, some, some, are essentially for, some are essentially forced um, you know, forced over, you know, forced migration because of economic instability, because of the role of foreign, foreign governments, the IMF, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, very cool. So moving on to the next question, uh, for those who may not be interested or aware of labor news, why do you think unions and organized labor are important and should be covered by the news? So, I mean, I think first and foremost, um, I automatically think of the role and dominance of corporations in mainstream media. So when you think about also the role of, you know, how corporations often, you know, get most of their wealth is through the exploitation of the working class. So I think in terms of balancing the narrative, you need labor news, you need working class news, you need to focus on labor issues, organized labor needs to have a seat at the table in terms of media coverage because the media is so skewed, not necessarily left or right, but skewed to essentially sanitize the exploitation of the corporation. So I think that the focus on labor news is what is essential to countering that, I guess. But, you know, I mean, I also come at, come at it from a more historian and archivist perspective. So when I think of labor news, I think about the importance of labor history. I think about the importance of the historical record. I think about the archival record. And I think about how the voices and perspectives of working class people, labor unions, of course, too, but working class people, you know, the, the people that aren't organized, people that aren't union members, but are still very, very much a part of the working class. Those, those are the voices and perspectives that need agency, that need to be, you know, documented. So, but there's also this, you know, tie in between labor news and labor history. You know, what's today's labor news is tomorrow's labor history. So in order to change the historical record, in order to change the archival record, 
you have to labor news is important because you know yeah because labor news is labor history so by focusing on labor news you shed light on or prioritize the voices and perspectives of working class people well that is a great segue into talking a little bit about the shows that you're working on and could you tell the audience when you started the shows or when you began working on the shows and what they're about yeah, so I guess um, my the, the show that I host is called Cool Things in the Mini Archives. Um, the show, I want to say, started in 2018, and it was actually an idea between Chris Garlock and my supervisor, Ben Blake, um, who recorded the first couple of segments that were just conversations between the two of them. This then grew to more roundtable conversations between Ben, myself, and our student assistant, Chloe, uh, who's now graduated. Um, and cool things in the media archives, I guess what we do is we pull materials, records, documents, photos um, from our collections, and we use those to, I don't know, use labor history to shed light on current events, current issues in the labor movement. And um, more recently, I guess because of the pandemic, so the show centers on archival material which we haven't had too much access to during the pandemic. So I've also switched to doing more interviews for labor history today. Um, a lot of the interviews that I've done have been with um, authors and historians, um, but we've also been doing a kind of more documenting labor, you know, labor history as it happens. So around the murder of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter rallies, um, Ben and I were going down to Black Lives Matter Plaza attending um, you know, labor organized rallies, um, a rally organized by the painters union, um, where we went down there and outside of the AFL-CIO headquarters, um, we interviewed Kenneth Rigmaiden, uh, the general president of the painters union. Um, so we've been doing more things like that. Um, yeah, I think it, it just, it shifted a bit during the pandemic. So it's kind of, I guess, cool things in the mini archive is on a bit of a temporary hiatus. So I guess now I've more recently shifted to contributing to labor history today. I mean, cool things in the mini archives is also a mini segment on labor history today. So I guess while that is on a bit of a hiatus, it's more just been interviews for labor history today. I remember you finding some audio that was just kind of buried and you're just like, let's put this into the software we're using, get a transcription. It's never been transcribed before. And let's just put it out there because it's right now just sitting nowhere and it's not in the, on the internet for other people to hear. And can you talk a little bit about some of these things that you're finding in the archive? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, what, I guess this all started with um, a couple of years ago before I was working in the Mini Labor Archive, um, they had an exhibit um, on basically, you know, labor and civil rights and they digitized a bunch of films. They digitized, I think 27 films. So what I did is I just, I was like, well, you know, these films are kind of sitting on a hard drive. The absolute least I could do is I could put them up on YouTube. So I created like a mini labor archive playlist on the Hornbake Library YouTube channel and just threw the videos up on YouTube, you know, captioned them, contextualized them and everything. And one of those videos is a film documentary called Freedom Ride. And it is a full primary source. It was done, it's a core production done just after the Freedom Rides. It's narrated by James Farmer. Um, there's video footage of a young John Lewis, uh, God rest his soul, um, uh, but you know, no, no audio. 
Um, but that film, ever since putting it on YouTube, I think it has almost 3,000 views now. Um, I mean, which is awesome. So we have these rich primary sources. And to speaking to the audio specifically, um, I think you're referencing the A. Philip Randolph speeches maybe and the, um, the Cesar Chavez speeches as well. Um, yeah, so those were already digitized um, and just sitting on a hard drive. And I was thinking, I'm like, how, how can I get these out? What can I do with these? So what I actually did is I created these one image videos. I did it kind of budget. I just Googled like one image video converter or something like that, threw the audio file into there. And then I found, I was using the AFL-CIO news for one. So I would go into the AFL-CIO news, which has been digitized via the internet archive. And I would go there, go to the date where the audio is recorded and just, you know, try a couple different search terms. And on one, uh, both cases, actually, I found specific articles from the event. So that would be my one image. So it would just be this one image of the article with the speech running. And of course, you can see all this on YouTube. Um, the one that I found, another one was from Cesar Chavez was from the New York Times. So we have the historical newspapers database has the New York Times. So I cropped that article and put that as the one image. So I feel like it could be better, but it's better than nothing. It gets the content out there. And especially at a time when we're all, you know, when a lot of archives and libraries are closed or by appointment only, and, you know, services are limited, access is limited, the more digitized content that you have to prioritize, you know, the voices. And I mean, these are, of course, labor leaders, so it's not necessarily the rank and file, but still getting labor history and those voices online and universally accessible is, I don't know, something that's extremely important to me at least. I love it. And something that I was thinking as well is just the open source Wikipedia style, maybe not even necessarily Wikipedia or Wikipedia Commons, but where something that could be developed in the coming years where it is an op completely open source focused on labor and we can throw things up there and people can use it for those. Yeah. Those are ideas that I have in the pipeline. Um, for sure. They're things that I've kind of been working on since the pandemic, but school hits and all these other things. Um, yeah, I guess, uh, I remember, I can't remember which, <laughs> which historical association is doing it. Um, but we've been trying to do Google drives where basically I'm taking all of the scans that I've done for reference for patrons over the last two years anything that's like a full folder scan, I'm trying to put them up into Google Drive. And I mean, we've also been, we've been, I guess, inconsistently doing Wikipedia edit-a-thons. I know that we were doing events um, to edit Wikipedia and that's something I'd really love to do more of is just, you know, finding specific events, even changing the narratives of corporations, you know, going to a corporation Wikipedia site and entering the working class side of things. Um, ways to just change the narrative, balance things out um, in an open source way, in a way that anyone can do it. And just getting the working class or historians, archivists, labor historians, whoever more involved in just the public production of working class history, I guess. It's awesome, man. So talking a little bit about the labor radio podcast network uh could you talk about how you became a member and why you think this network is important you know i don't even know how i became a member i think chris just invited me to a meeting one week and i said yes and i showed up at a meeting and then i found myself as a member of the labor radio podcast network it's been a blessing it's such a beautiful thing 
Um, I love it. I mean, I, I love meeting with everybody every single week. Um, so, I mean, I guess, I don't know, I guess I came, I came to it from the, from cool things in the mini archives and contributing to labor history today. Um, and I, I mean, in terms of, I guess the, what, what was it? What was the second part of your question? I spaced a little. Yeah. Why, why, why do you think it's important? Like why, oh, why, 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 is, important? why is this Jesus. network, uh, <laughs> Yeah, why, what's the value of it for people who are on the outside? I think the value of it is really in building support, supporting each other. Um, you know, I, I, solidarity is often seen as a buzzword, but I think it has real value here. Um, and I think it's just being in community with each other. Um, I think often, especially because a lot of us come from, you know, academic backgrounds or even organizer backgrounds, I feel like a lot of our work often exists in a, in a vacuum. So it's really, really nice for this opportunity to come together as a network, to share ideas, to share work, to support each other, um, and just grow the importance of labor news, labor history, and just disseminating this information in a more organized communal form. It, it really is more than just a radio and podcast network. It's a labor network. And I think that's where it's most valuable is where it's most important is that it's not just about the shows that are produced. It's about the people. It's about the ideas. It's about the community. And it really is the importance and strength of solidarity. Um, that, yeah, I think that's why it's important. And I came on it, uh, I guess, end of May and, and started helping out with the editing in, in June. And that's where I've met you and this whole COVID-19 thing, we've been doing these remote weeklies and I look forward to most likely next spring when we can all get together, especially us in the mid-Atlantic DC area and, and celebrate how far we we've come. I know. I mean, it just, we've, we've come, we've grown so much in such a short amount of time that it's, it's really, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the network grows in the future. Um, I, I think we've already kind of started to increase our international scope and, you know, I'm kind of a, a student and scholar of the Black Panthers and Fred Hampton. So I think international working class solidarity is one of the most important things, especially in a moment like this. And I think a network like this, um, we're now pushing towards a more, you know, a network form of this working class solidarity that I think is really important. So in closing, Looking into the future of organized labor, where do you see opportunity and hope? So more broadly, I mean, I think that there's just, there's a lot of opportunity and hope in the struggle itself. Um, I, think, I think that the level of awareness for labor news, labor issues, um, and you know, the working class is increasing. And I think that there's a lot of opportunity and hope there. I also just find a lot of opportunity and hope in the fact that there's just so much more work to be done. Um, there's so much we haven't done. There's so much we haven't figured out. Um, there's a much, much better world that I know that we, that we can strive towards. And I see a lot of hope and opportunity there. I, I think it's um, this, you know, this level of opportunity and hope is a little bit more skeptical, I guess, but I think also as inequality increases and more people are pushed to the margins, um, there is, you know, there is opportunity there 
for more people to come together and fight back, more people to come back to more people to come together and resist. And I guess thinking more specifically, you know, I am, I am kind of looking at the election and I'm thinking of a candidate like Joe Biden. If Joe Biden were to win the election, I think Joe Biden is more interested in unions and in the labor movement more broadly. So I think that, I think that a, a new administration, a Biden administration gives hope and opportunity to the labor movement in the sense that the labor movement from the rank and file level can influence labor leadership which could possibly most likely have an increased seat at the table in a Biden administration. So these are really dark times. Um, I, I think I, I'm really grateful, very blessed uh, to be working remotely. Um, so my heart and soul is out with everybody who doesn't have that privilege. Um, and it's hard to say hope and opportunity um, for people that are working in the middle of a pandemic. Um, let's Simultaneously, I, I think we're at a transitional period where there is a lot to be hopeful for. And I mean, it's not even about hope, it's about work. And there's a lot more work to do. And there is opportunity in the work that needs to be done. You better listen, my brother, because if you do, you can hear from across the years and they're crying across the ocean they're crying across the land and they will until we all come to understand none of us are free none of us are free says it's right we got to feel for each other let our brothers know we're here got to get the message send it out all loud and clear none of us are free 